I want to thank you for joining in again to the Bible study this evening. And I hope that you have your Bibles there with you. And I'd love for you to join me in Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll close out our study of this chapter of Scripture. And to me, on the studying end, I have enjoyed getting a deeper understanding of salvation from my perspective, the Scripture's perspective, and the practical fallout. The reality of the practical fallout really becomes clear in these last verses. You see, for several verses now, Paul has kind of been building towards something in specific. Not tackled every single topic directly, but he's going to talk about the church. He's not going to use that word, though the word church is used back in verse 22 of chapter 1. And in chapter 1, he presents salvation, as it were, from God's perspective. And as I've already addressed here in chapter 2, we've been deepening our understanding of salvation, theologically speaking, from our perspective. The reality is, in the early part of this chapter, I will rehearse yet again, we know that we were lost. And by the time this chapter ends, we find ourselves as believers in the church. That's what chapter 2 does for us. It consider the church. It's, it's metaphorical. There's no doubt about it. He's going to talk about fellow citizens. He's going to talk about a family in imagery. He's going to talk about a building. It's really metaphorical. It's a figure of speech, but no doubt he's talking about the church. And the scripture uses metaphor as a teaching method all throughout. In fact, Jesus himself was a master of using metaphorical speech. We know he said to us, we are the salt of the earth. We know that he told us we are the light of the world, that he was the door, the good shepherd, the true vine, the way, the truth, and the life. He called himself the bread of life, the light of the world, the resurrection, and the life. And so arriving here in chapter 2, in verse 19, though the word is not used, it is metaphorically describing as believers what we are brought together into, and that is the church. If you look at verse 19 there with me, you'll read along. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, therefore, that's how he begins verse 19. Based on everything that we have established, let's get really practical. Now, therefore, now, consequently, or because of this. Now, remember, the first part of the chapter, he explains to us our lostness. Back in verse 1, we were dead. And by the time we arrive in verse 2, we are living to serve the flesh and we are under the dominion of the devil. 
By verse 3, we are very much to our core wicked. We are outcasts from God, from his promises, and from his people. By verse 12, we are lost in our sins. We are separated from God. We are without hope under the wrath of God by nature. Now Paul is telling us we are no more strangers. We are no more foreigners. Strangers. That just means not of my family. You are a stranger, foreigner, a sojourner in a country that is not his home, an alien, maybe not of that same country. Those are two words that stand out to us. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. Here is the practical fallout of salvation. This is what the church ultimately is all about. You are no more a stranger. Being a stranger in our world stands out. I taught my kids something along these lines, stranger danger. Never speak to strangers. You see, strangers tend to be the kind of people you don't invite into your home. You openly avoid them. You teach your children that they should be wary or suspicious of strangers. We grasp the sensation of being a stranger in the world in which we live. And we understand, theologically speaking, we were strangers before we were drawn near, brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. No more strangers. No more foreigners. We're in a place, a foreigner, that we do not belong. That's what that is describing. Separated as a foreigner. Separated by culture separated by language, separated by nationality, not having the same rights as a citizen would have, traveling on a passport, indicating that we are there by the permission of the local government, and even that for a shortened period of time. Strangers and foreigners, that is or was our condition and is no more. That's what Paul is telling us. In a spiritual sense, we were strangers and we were foreigners when it came to God. We were strangers. We were ignorant of Him. We were foreigners. We had no saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We had no spiritual right. We had no standing. But now we are no more strangers, nor are we foreigners. The phrase, we are now fellow citizens with the saints. That is a togetherness principle. Fellow citizens with the saints. That means that we have changed our citizenship. That's a biblical principle. We are now members of a new kingdom. We are no longer ignorant of God. We are no longer ignorant of his blessing. We are no longer without rights, nor are we without standing. We are on equal footing with the rest of the saints. And as citizens, we have access to the king himself. We now, therefore, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, are no more strangers or foreigners. We are fellow citizens of another kingdom with the saints, the togetherness principle having rights and access to the king. Now let's just unpack and deepen our understanding, again theologically, of the church. One wrote this, We no longer live on a passport. We have a birth certificate. We really do belong. 
We belong together. We have this idea that we are fellow citizens. We have a togetherness principle. We also have an awareness here, a picture here of a birth. We really do belong, not just a passport. We have a birth certificate for not only are we fellow citizens, but he uses the phrase there, we are of the household of God. That's even a more intimate relationship. Fellow citizens, I have transferred my citizenship, but now I am of the household of God. I'm actually a member of the family, born again, as Jesus was teaching and witnessing to Nicodemus in John 3, adopted out of the family of Adam into the family of Christ, as we learn in the book of Colossians. This is a far more intimate relationship, family, than merely citizenship. That's a fact. Now here's the pictures. Here's the metaphor that he is using for us. We have a picture of belonging together. We were strangers and foreigners. We are no more. Because of salvation, we are fellow citizens with the saints. We are brought Together, Not just a picture of togetherness, but a picture of a new birth. We are of the household of God. That's just fact. We have access not only to the king as a citizen, but we have access to our heavenly father as a child of God. We've recently studied this. We are his children. And as our loving Heavenly Father, He always has our best interests at heart. The fact is, what touches you, touches Him. He is your Father. For he that toucheth you, Zechariah says, toucheth the apple of his eye. He will take care of you. We then, as we broaden this understanding, as members of the household of God, view each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a deeper relationship than fellow citizens. Now, truthfully, we have a picture of being brought together. We were strangers. We were foreigners. We were aliens. We were outsiders. But we have been brought together. We are on equal footing with the saints. We are fellow citizens of another kingdom. That is a unifying principle. We are of the household of God. We are truly family. Brothers and sisters, that language is all throughout the New Testament. You and I are a part of the household of God. That's the phrase that's used. That changes how we treat each other. It should change how we treat each other. This belief, this doctrinal understanding should change our behavior. We should be pulling the same direction. We should be living as though we are still sojourners here in this life with our citizenship there in heaven. We should be living and viewing one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That love of family should be present. That level of acceptance of one another should be present. He goes on. He does this now as he depicts it. He says, not only is there a picture of being together, not only is there a picture of a birth, he gives us the picture of a building. That was very clear in verse 20 through 22. Not only now are we citizens, 
together of a kingdom. And not only are we family members of the same household, but we are actually a part of the same building. One said, as citizens, we share a common country. As children, we share a common bloodline. And as part of the building, we share an indivisible unity both to God and to one another. We are components of the same building. We are standing together with a closeness that is permanent. That is, according to Scripture, powerful. We have been brought together. That's the visible local church. That's this place. We've been brought together. We're metaphorically speaking a building. Now we have a building. We're talking about building again, but never lose sight of the fact that we are the church, that we are a building of lively stones, that we have been brought together. Now each of us comes from a different background. The majority of us come from different places. We have a different past. We have differing spiritual gifts. We have different abilities and we have different capacities and we do things in different ways. Yet in spite of our differences, what we're learning here is we have been brought together in Jesus Christ and we have been gifted a unity that is even stronger than blood. God sets in the body according to his will. If this is your church home, you're one of the stones building up this place. The fact is, the unity that we have in this place will outlast kingdoms. Kingdoms come and go. Kingdoms rise and fall. Families fall apart. The truth is, sometimes families die out. But the building that God is building, His church, which the gates of hell cannot prevail against, will outlast kingdoms and will outlast earthly families. It will last into eternity. He's building with stones like you and me. Now, there's a lot that we derive from this, and I want to build it for just a second. But we have to grasp what he is conveying to us because of our salvation. He goes on and he says, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Don't make any mistake. The strength and durability of the building rests upon the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. If he is exalted, we stand. If he is exalted, we're doing our job and our part. We cannot fail because Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. That's what he says in Matthew. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You go to church here. I pastor a church here. But ultimately, this is not mine, and this is not yours. This is God's, and according to his perfect will, he's placed us here. He unified us. I often will make a joke. You don't pick me to be your pastor. Who'd pick that? But God called you and God called me and he saw fit to bring us together. Isn't that a special thing? Isn't that a beautiful truth to understand that when we come together, we're doing the will of God, that we have a chance to do something together that God designed for us to be doing together? He's the cornerstone. Then he uses this phrase, the building fitly framed 
together. We are not responsible for building the building of God. If we were, we are flat out doomed to failure. The building is fitly framed together. That phrase indicates and communicates that someone else is doing the building. That phrase is in the passive voice. It means another is building the building, and we know who is building the building, that is God. He is adding stone upon stone upon stone to build His temple for His glory, His church for His glory. One said He's like a master mason. He chooses the stones one by one and places them exactly where He wants them. Doesn't that then shine a light on the cheapness of the consumer mentality that causes us to just bounce from church operation to church operation to find something that we like, to find something that fits us, to find something that will meet the majority because I don't think any place will meet all of our preferences. We don't sell the church to people. We don't market church membership to people. We don't twist people's arms. The fact is God calls you here. And in that, a lot of the idiosyncrasies and a lot of the differences fade away when you recognize that God has you. It doesn't mean that God has you in this place forever. It doesn't mean that we have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit and we're the only place that understands. We're the only place that does it right. Thank God there are multiplied thousands of churches that are doing the work of God. But where does God want you? And if God has you here, think of how special that is. That can begin to change cynicism. That can begin to develop relationship. That can begin to spark ministry and involvement and a sense of belonging. Not because someone knows your name, but because you have a deeper awareness that this is the place that God has you, the picture of togetherness. Yeah, great. That's beautiful. We're fellow citizens of an eternal kingdom. The picture of a new birth. We are part of the family of God. But the picture of a building really brings it home. God has put us together according to his will to do his work. And he uses the phrase that it grows. It's in the present tense. The building is always growing. God is always doing his work. He is ever building his building. Acts 2, it's such a beautiful depiction when we see the church at Jerusalem grow explosively. It is also a bit of a release valve. Takes the pressure off. Don't become discouraged in your work for him or my work for him. Why? Because the success strange word to use when we talk about church, but the success of the church is not in our hands. It's in his hands. We have to trust him that he will properly build what pleases him. Everything he does is good and perfect and right. It's such an incredible understanding to recognize that in the first verse of this chapter, we were dead in trespasses and sins, and you, yes, you, the Christian, the believer, the one who has experienced new birth in Christ, he has quickened 
He's brought to life. And by the time we end, we who were strangers and aliens and foreigners, we who were under the wrath of God by nature, we who were under the dominion of the lusts of our flesh with no chance to escape and hopeless without God, and we who were under the dominion of the devil have been brought near by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and now we who were outsiders are insiders. We were strangers and foreigners, but no more. We were, we were separate and apart, separate entities, but no more. We're brought together. Our citizenship has changed. Our family name has changed. And we're a part of something that will outlast us, that has preceded us, that is going on now, and that will go on long after we're gone if the Lord tarries his coming. That is his church. I think sometimes we boil church down to who we know, what role we have, who knows us, what's going on with a building or a myriad of other things. This is so much bigger when you really understand what is happening as we're brought together like a building that's fitly framed. God brought you here. You say, I wish that God had brought me somewhere else. I referenced a few weeks ago in study. You may desire to be ministering in Jerusalem, but if God has you in Babylon, that's what God wants. Work there. Your work will be fruitful in that place. Find out what God wants. Do God's will. That's the greatest calling any of us have. Our salvation has practical fallout in our everyday world. This should heighten our sense of the church. This should heighten our esteem of the church. This should clarify our vision. This should help us look at the people around us like fellow citizens, like family members. When we deduce that this is God's will, little idiosyncratic things that can bug us to death can dissipate when we acknowledge, I'm just doing what God wants me to do. He has me here to shine bright in this place. He has me here to exercise my gifts in this place. He has me here to exhort and to encourage in this place. I'm a stone. I'm a part of what God is building. Don't get discouraged. He's doing the building. Don't get discouraged. He's doing the growing part. Be faithful. It's a beautiful thing, Ephesians chapter 2, to go from death in isolation to new life in unity in the church with a mission to get as many saved as we possibly can. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to study it. We thank you for your church, for the privilege that we have to be a part of it. Pray that we'd clarify, we'd correct our vision and understanding of what we have in the church. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. 
Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.